Welcome to the Red Words Podcast, where we pursue a personal relationship with God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Join us weekly as we deep dive into the dynamic and oftentimes curious Holy Spirit-inspired book of God's Word. In Revelation chapter 11, we continue the pause between the sixth and seventh trumpet judgments as John expounds upon the two witnesses who testify regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. In previous episodes, much information is given regarding the price the Lord Jesus paid to repurchase His creation. In the beginning some 6,000 years ago, according to Scripture, God gave earth to Adam and Eve, and they handed it over to Satan. To regain His creation, the Son of God willingly left His home to be born a man on this wretched world so He could die as the sacrificial Lamb of God. The Lord Jesus Christ died on Passover 2,000 years ago. He redeemed earth, but he hasn't returned to take possession, for his time of fulfillment is not yet. Meanwhile, under Satan's rule, all of earth groans as mankind has eroded, depleted, destroyed, and mutilated the very planet we need to survive. Entire species are extinct. Babies are murdered by inconvenience. Wealth and power and control are more important than basic human rights. Millions of people live their entire lives in slavery. Truth is twisted into whatever suits the individual. Facts are ignored. Victims are incarcerated while perpetrators go free. Good is bad and bad is good. The world is upside down and inside out and flipped and twisted. This is the wreckage humanity faces under Satan's control. But he won't get his way for much longer. But before we learn about Satan's downfall, Revelation chapter 11 begins the shift where Scripture no longer reaches out to the lost, hoping they choose wisely. For in this chapter it is clear that people have chosen which side they're on, as we see in verses 1 and 2. Then I was given a measuring stick, and I was told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar, and count the number of worshipers. But do not measure the outer courtyard, for it has been turned over to the nations. They will trample the holy city for forty-two months. After Antichrist's peace offering is accepted by the nations, Israel will rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. This scripture indicates that the Jewish temple and the Muslim Dome of the Rock will co-reside on the Temple Mount. Commentators note that there is much evidence indicating the Holy of Holies inside Solomon's Temple is located north of the Dome of the Rock. Therefore, the outer courtyard where the mosque is located is not to be measured because it belongs to the nations who will run roughshod over the Holy City during the Great Tribulation. John continues in verses 3 through 6. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will be clothed in burlap, and will prophesy during those 1260 days. These two prophets are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. This is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. They have power to shut the sky so that no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. 
and they have the power to turn the rivers and oceans into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. Why two? Because scripture requires two witnesses before something can be established, as we see in Deuteronomy 17.6. There must always be two or three witnesses. And again in Matthew 18.16. Take one or two with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. In relation to the Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection, well over 500 people personally witnessed him teaching, healing, eating, and drinking prior to his ascension into heaven. Even the ascension was witnessed by Jesus' disciples and his other followers. Then again, three disciples in Matthew 17 watched as Jesus rose into heaven on the Mount of Transfiguration. As Jesus left earth, he hovered in the air and was met by Elijah and Moses, and the three of them spoke. Peter, one of the witnesses to this event, wanted to build memorials for the three of them. So, is it possible that Elijah and Moses team up once again during the Great Tribulation? The Lord does not specifically tell us, but commentators and theologians strongly suggest the witnesses could be Elijah, Moses, or Enoch. This claim is made because God took both Elijah and Enoch from earth. They did not die. Then there's the fact that Elijah and Moses never completed their earthly ministries, and many claim Revelation accomplishes this for them. Another interesting point is that both witnesses must be Jewish, and Enoch was not. Add to all this that Elijah called fire down from heaven multiple times during his ministry as a prophet, and he also shut the skies so no rain covered the earth for many years. And of course, Moses brought the ten plagues of Egypt, including turning water into blood. Both of these men have extensive experience in all aspects of this scripture. And then verses 7 through 9 tells us what happens to them. When they complete their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them, and he will conquer them and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, the city where their Lord was crucified. And for three and a half days, all peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them. And all the earth dwellers who belong to this world will gloat over them and give presents to each other to celebrate the death of the two prophets who had tormented them. Here we see the two witnesses complete their ministries and God allows Satan to conquer them. They lie dead and decomposing for three and a half days while the citizens of the world rejoice. Meanwhile, the citizens of Jerusalem, which is so perverted that God compares it to Sodom, and whose citizens insist upon worshiping idols to such an extent that God compares Jerusalem to ancient Egypt, plus Jerusalem is the city that crucified Jesus, these people party and gloat and celebrate the two men who brought such destruction upon them. But, oh, God is not finished yet as we see in verses 11 through 13. But after three and a half days, God breathed life into them, and they stood up. 
Terror struck all who were staring at them. Then a loud voice from heaven called to the two prophets, Come up here. And they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched. At the same time, there was a terrible earthquake that destroyed a tenth of the city. 7,000 people died in that earthquake, and everyone else was terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The greatest fault line on earth is located just east of Jerusalem. The line runs north and south, down the Jordan River, through the Great Rift Valley, and then underneath the Dead Sea into Africa. That is no coincidence, for one should never, ever underestimate the mighty power of the Lord God. His will alone is completed throughout the universe, and none can stop him. Here, God Almighty sits back and allows his beloved preachers to be mocked and ridiculed by the nations, because the citizens of the world have chosen evil over good. God watches earth celebrate their demise by allowing earth dwellers to think they have successfully defeated the God of the universe. He folds his arms and waits for the precise moment when he breathes life into the preacher's lungs and has these two men stand in defiance. Now the situation is reversed as the entire world becomes witnesses to the two men who are brought back to life. People stare at their televisions, watching in horror as CNN covers the big party-turned-disaster. The men revive as the terrorized crowd backs away. Some attempt to run, but all the world hears God's thunderous voice as he calls his beloved home to heaven. Some TV cameras follow the witnesses' ascension upward, while other cameras focus in close on stunned and horrified faces. Because every single man and woman on earth now understands that Antichrist, the false prophet, and all the world's governments are not in control. Satan's big deception is revealed. But people are not allowed much time to think through this situation before God strikes Jerusalem with an earthquake so severe that one-tenth of the city is annihilated and 7,000 earth dwellers die. Some commentators believe the 7,000 are prominent leaders and dignitaries. Those earth dwellers who survived this quake, along with all the nations of the world, suddenly realize they made the wrong choice, and they give glory to the one true God. But it's too late for them, as we see in verses 14 through 19. The second terror is past, but look, the third terror is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven, The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The twenty-four elders, sitting on their thrones before God, fell with their faces to the ground and worshipped him. And they said, We give thanks to you, the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is and who always was, for now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come. It is time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people and all who fear your name, from the least to the greatest. It is time to destroy all who have caused destruction on the earth." 
Then, in heaven, the temple of God was opened and the ark of his testament could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed, and roared, and there was an earthquake and terrible hailstorm. Oh, the horrifying moment a person realizes they made a fatal mistake. That will be the case here for anyone who chose Satan over God. Woe to those who chose evil over good, who took part in turning the world upside down and inside out, those who terrorized God's beloved, those who had anything to do with persecuting and martyring God's people. For there is nothing throughout history to compare what they are about to experience. From this point until the end, God takes back his creation, his possession, and unleashes his wrath upon anyone who did not choose him. Only those whose foreheads are marked by God, who have miraculously managed to survive up to this point, will be spared God's wrath. His wrath also includes permanently throwing Satan and one-third of the angels who followed him out of heaven once and for all, where all mankind can see, experience, and personally suffer Satan's anger and desperation as he unleashes grisly horrors upon anyone who remains, for Satan knows his time is short. In chapter 11's conclusion, take note that verse 19 is an introduction to Revelation chapter 12 and the differences between God's testament and the Ark of the Covenant must be addressed. The Ark of God's testament is not the Ark of the Covenant. The former has never left God's heavenly temple, while the latter is a replica God gave to Moses, and it resides on earth. But, oh, what an amazing glimpse into God's holy realm, and very soon we'll learn how he plans to replicate heaven on a brand new earth. In the meantime, dear friends, take heed of the Holy Spirit-inspired word of God today as you seek a deeper personal relationship with him. Thank you for joining me, and know that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you very much, and so do we. Until next week, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen and Amen.